0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. It's good to have you come back. We are in James, again, chapter 1, looking at verses 2 through 4. There's a lot going on in this verse. It kind of sets the stage uh, for the whole book, I believe. And again, you're going to be the judge of that as we go through it. I'll read, uh, I'm going to read the first few verses, then get into the notes. We've got the same notes as last week, but I've added a few things to them uh, to kind of clarify some things and finish them up. Chapter 1, verse 1, James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Again, what we've established here—that is, James, the bishop of Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus. Uh, when he says, "Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ," that's not naming two of the members of uh, the Trinity. Most likely, that's Jesus is uh, God, and Jesus is the Lord Christ, and James is the servant of this person, who is both God and the Lord, the Messiah. And to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, that is most likely Jews, that have left Jerusalem and gone north into Syria, up into the Galatia area, Antioch, Uh, and they've been scattered, dispersed among the other Jews that were dispersed by the Assyrians uh, and the other times that they've left the land, including the Greeks, the Seleucids, Uh, That's because that's the word dysphoria, or the scattered. And they've gone into the nations. And now living in that place, they've left Jerusalem. They fled Jerusalem because uh, of persecution, because they've accepted Jesus Christ, like James, who is a servant of Jesus, who is God, not accepted by all Jews. Not all Jews, obviously, recognize Jesus as being the Messiah, or that he was God. And so if you were to come in... To a synagogue and and your Jewish friends and admit to live by to name the name Jesus as if he were God and Messiah, it would cause a reaction. You would be ostracized. You would be rejected. You would be canceled, and in some cases persecuted. And there's even in the book of Acts. There's a great fleeing out of Jerusalem. Thus, we can date this book fairly early within the first fifteen years of Christianity. Uh, so. That is the theme of the book now, is they fled, they are under persecution, even as they get into these Gentile nations, they're going to move into most likely Jewish communities, join Jewish synagogues, because that's their culture, that's their people, and there again receive opposition or rejection, which eventually is going to cause the church to develop in a synagogue fashion among the Jews. Uh, but they're going to be believers in jesus christ you can see paul doing this to several synagogues of splitting them the those that reject christ continues the synagogue those who ac- accept christ sometimes move next door and start another synagogue which is actually the beginning of the church what we'd call recognized as a church the gentiles do begin to join them in this situation verse two consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, which is the word hoopomone, and we'll talk about that some more. Hupomone must finish, or perseverance, endurance, must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we're going to see in that verse, verse 4, the word perfect is used twice, and the word complete, which also could be translated as perfect, uh, so you've got, in a sense, three Perfect in that sentence, perseverance must perfect its work so that you may be perfect and perfect, not lacking anything now, two of those words are clearly perfect. the other word means complete uh you know com- uh, adequate uh total also perfect must finish its work so that uh you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything now again, that's going to be fun when we talk about not lacking anything. That's in the moral context, meaning when you're facing these trials, you're going to have matured and be able to respond, not lacking any mature standard, no moral failures. You'll be able to rise and meet that as a mature Christian. That doesn't mean you'll never have financial problems because the whole book is about financial problems. So right there, this whole book just wipes out the whole concept of the prosperity gospel. Because the whole book is about you're in poverty, you're going to stay in poverty. Now, while you're in poverty, you're going to have everything you need while you're in poverty. You mean we're not going to be poor? What? No, you're poor. You're going to stay poor. You're going to be destitute. You're going to be persecuted. But you won't be lacking anything. But I'm lacking money, which means you're not perfect. You're not complete. You don't, hupomone hasn't done his work because you're still worried about money. Because in this state of poverty, you're going to reach a level of perfection of maturity that you will not fail, you'll not be lacking in any moral standards. You'll be able to rise to the occasion and endure hoopomoni so that it may finish its work so you will continue to rise to the occasion. It's like, so we're not going to be rich in this age. Right, you've got the wrong religion. It's like, you're going to want to switch out here. Now again, that's not they're going to say, that. well, I'll show you. Okay. Uh, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Talking about character. If any of you lacks wisdom, meaning I don't understand this, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea. And what they're talking about is your how do I, I don't understand this. I know this is, this is complex. It's, it, you're thinking, in a sense, on a different level of just the worldliness. You're thinking in a spiritual sense. You need spiritual maturity. I don't understand. Right. Ask God for wisdom. He will give you wisdom to understand this and proceed as you go through these trials with hupomone so this process can work its work in your life. And, and you, it will work for you. It will, but God's not going to judge you. Uh, but when you ask, you've got to keep your eye on the goal and not switch back to being worldly, because if you start this process of okay, I'm understanding, I- I'm maturing, then all w- it's like wait, and you switch back and want to think worldly. Okay, you're never going to understand it. You're you're planting a seed, digging it up, planting the seed, digging it up to see if it's growing. Keep your eye on what God is doing. Okay, and it continues like that. Okay, so point point on page five, point three. This. Chapter One, verse two is uh, a command. It's in the imperative mode, and this is just setting the stage again as we go, continue through this. It is a command. Uh, he's he, consider it all joy." And again, we talk about that word consider." It means to figure, to, to analyze, to do the math, to look at your situation. You are in trials. Now, these trials, to endure these trials,'re going we're going to talk about this word hupomone hupomone which is endure these trials you're going to have to endure a stand don't give up not pass and not give up and just i don't care anymore you're going to have to hold to the truth even in the face of persecution when everything is coming against you and tells you compromise give up go back to the world you're going to say absolutely not i'm going to stand firm so this is not a passive enduring, I don't know, I'll just give up and lay on the floor and people just walk all over me. Whatever you want, that's fine. No, that is not hupomone. Hupomone is, I know what I believe, I know what is true, I know what is right, I'm going to stay here and continue to hold to it, believe it, and act on it, even if you have opposition. So in a sense, it's a very strong Endurance. It could almost be conceived, and I'll I'll go through some notes there, almost be conceived by the world, which wants you to come over here and give up. Stop believing in Christ. Stop believing this truth. Stop waiting for Christ's return. Stop doing these things because we're going to continue to persecute you. Just come over here and join us. Otherwise, we're going to cancel you. Hupomone, giving up or being, hupomone would not be passive. Okay, okay, I don't want to cause any trouble. I'll just come over here. It's like, that is not hupomone. That's giving up. Hupomone is standing here, not being obstinate not attacking and uh, james is going to talk about that not becoming violent but no you do what you need to do but i'm not moving from this position it's a very strong strengthening position hupomone and as you stand there you're going to then mature you're going to become everything christ wants you to be in time and in eternity and so when you understand this formula In your mind, you consider it, all right, joy. Now, you may be sad. You may be oppressed. You may be run down. You may be worn out. I don't know what to do, but I know the process. You're going to hold to this in your mind, doing the math, consider, figure it out. All right, this is good. This is good. And so point three on page five. This verse, chapter 1, verse 2, is a command in the imperative mood to the believers on how to think, not how to feel. You've got to think this way, and you think, this, this is good. This is good news. But this is very hard. I'm worn down. I'm always under opposition. I'm being persecuted. I don't feel very happy. I don't feel joy. Right, you don't feel joy. That's because you're considering it mentally. This is the process. Consider, think, figure, do the math, that you are in a joy position in trials. Point B, it is not saying feel happy or put on a fake smile when you face trials. This is not command, do not be sad. Because you may be sad. You may be worn down. But you know, I'm not giving up because this is going somewhere. I mean, think about going on a trip. You got to drive, you know, 18 hours somewhere. This is not a good trip, but you're going to hupomone because you know we're going to eventually get there, and when we get there, I can't wait to get there. So you may be, I say like four words at the same time, crabby, groggy, complaining the whole way, but you know, we want to do this. Do you want to turn around? No, I don't want to turn around. I want to keep going. Well, then why are you so sad? Because I'm tired of sitting here in the car. I'm tired of the trip. It's like, can we stop? It's like, it's been how long? How much longer? Oh, are we there yet? It's like a terrible time. But are you going to turn around? No, I can't wait to get there. Consider it joy. Now, you're not joyful in the car. Now Again, the Christians should control their emotions. Okay, it's not like you're going to understand. Uh, point C, this is about understanding or having the insight and wisdom. See, now, if you don't understand this, verse 5 says, ask God for wisdom. Like, I don't understand. We're in this car. We just keep driving. We're go- Well, here, ask God. He'll show you the map. He'll help you understand there's a destination. So this is, uh, this is about understanding or having insight and wisdom to know tough times produce growth in, in Christ if you hold on to your faith and let God do the work. And so that's what this verse is about. Now, go to page, or this whole book is about, page 8. Uh, we got some things. I just want to go through this, kind of connect this to the Bible, other places. And I hope I can do this in some kind of a smooth fashion that makes it easy to listen to. Point 11, reasons for trials and how to deal with them. Now, trials are mentioned throughout the Bible. You can see uh, Noah faced trials, Abraham faced trials, David faced trials, the prophets faced trials, Jesus faced trials, Jesus talked about trials and opposition. Uh, The book of Revelation, Every, every believer in the book of Revelation is going to be facing opposition and trials. So again, it's a theme throughout the Bible. So, there's uh, A, B, C, D under point eleven. Trials are of this age and will be overcome in the age to come. So, first of all, you will have trials. Now, I do not want this to become a negative book like life is just a bitter existence because we also know, like, and we can see, we can have the positive. Like God created all things to be enjoyed. So, I mean, if, it, if it's food, if it's experiences in life, if it's relationships, there's a lot of things in life to be enjoyed, and you will enjoy them at the fullest extent if you are in Christ and in tune with reality. So this is not saying all of life is miserable. This is talking about the book of James, James writing from Jerusalem north to the dispersed Jews who have fled into the Gentile nations around 45 A.D., now, this is not my position. I have not fled persecution. I am not a Jew fleeing into Gentile territory, leaving my home, leaving my culture, being rejected by the synagogue, and it's not 45 AD, and Christian persecution is, 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 is very severe and growing. This is not the situation. This is James's situation and his people, and there are very specific opposition or trials they are facing. And he's talking to them on how to deal with them. Now, we can go to other places in the Bible and find people who are in prosperous conditions. Abraham was in a place of prosperity. He had cattle. He had people working for him. Uh, Solomon. David coming into the kingdom. Uh, You know, uh, he he was prosperous. He was victorious. Uh, You can see Jesus at the height of his popularity. I mean, the crowds were coming out to see Jesus. Uh, We can see Paul. Uh, staying in Ephesus for three years, uh, there was this great success. The church, He was teaching daily in Tyrannus's lecture hall. I mean, you're going to teach for three years in a lecture hall in the middle of Ephesus. That means you've got an apartment or some place to live. You've got food. You've got friends. He wasn't. Po- yeah, he was working. Yeah, he had a job. He was because his apron that he took, his work belt that he took in. Uh, If people would touch it, there would be, you know, healings and things like that. So he was working, he had a job, he was employed, but he's also welcome. And during the noon hour, the lunch hour, he was having Bible study. So that would be a a three year period in Paul's life. In Corinth, there's, he'd been chased out of uh, Macedonia down in through Athens and actually came into Corinth and God says, hey, he says, relax, I've got many people here, you're going to have, you'll be here for a while, it's going to be a good time. So he lived in Corinth, worked with Aquila and Priscilla, had a job, started the church and had a time of peace and prosperity. Paul, another time, at the end of his, towards the end of his life, he wrote a letter to Titus on, on the island of Crete, he said, I'm going to winter at, uh, oh, it's on the east coast of, of Greece, I, I forget the name of it, no, Troas, that, that's... Not Malta. It's, uh, it's on the uh, it's on the east side of Italy. Anyway, it's it, it's a it's a resort city. He's going to spend the winter. It, it, there's no there's no church. Here. What's that? No, no, yeah. <laughs> it's in it's in it's in Titus. He says. But anyway, but I mean, it, you look at that place. Like he's going to spend the winter here. It's like, what are you going to do there? There's no mention of. A, I'm sure he was preaching, teaching, sharing Christ, because that's what he does. But it's like. I would like to, you know, when I'm 60 years old, I would like to be sitting there on that, that resort, you know, for the winter until I reengage. That'd be nice. So, I mean, there's t- life is not just bitter and tragic, okay? But That's what we're talking about in this letter. And it will be, at times, be bitter and tragic. And if you say, well, I don't think so, everything's going to be good. I always bring back to this point. You're going to die someday. You're going to face death. It's like, well, I had a great life. Okay, you're eventually going to cross over through the valley of the shadow of death, and you're going to have to have some kind of faith and trust God as you go through the trial of death. Okay, it's like the last great test. Uh, Okay, enough of that. So that's kind of like a disclaimer. I don't want to be Mr. Negative, but at the same time, when you do face these things, and you will at some point, and you have, uh, these are the reasons for trials uh, tr- uh, and how to deal with them. First of all, point A: trials are of this age and will be overcome in the age to come. In the age to come, they are going to pass away, and but the trials today are going to result in rewards or victory or at least a celebration that they're over in the age to come. Here's a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and we'll refer to this again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, here, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, there. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now again, not when people revile you and persecute you because you're a jerk, you say, "Well, I'm being persecuted." Right? You're a jerk. You're acting like an idiot. Stop acting like that. No, on, on falsely on my account because you're standing for Christ. You won't give up the truth. You're not going to compromise with the world. They're going to come against you. Now, that's that's good. You're you're that's your that's your that's your job. That's your response. You're going to stand here. You're testifying to the truth. You're testifying to Christ. You'll will overcome in the age to come. You'll be rewarded. Uh on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so sometimes according to jesus teaching you're going to face opposition trials and nothing's going to happen you're just going to endure hupomone endure them and in the age to come they'll result in great rewards now again that's not every case uh, trials are the destiny. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, and again, we could, we've gone through this verse before when we went through Thessalonians, but uh, it says these trials, that no one be, Paul's writing in chapter 3 of 1 of, uh, Thessalonians, that no one be moved by these afflictions. Trials, opposition, afflictions, painful situations. For you yourselves know the, that we are destined for them. Or destined for this the minute you accept you minute you break stride with the world and join with christ which is a, a at a pace a stride with another age to come you've broken rank with the world and now you're destined to face affliction in this age because you've said to this age this is not what i'm after i'm, I'm looking for something greater like abraham i'm looking for the city built by god i'm looking for this okay well you're destined for opposition. It's like, I mean, I'm thinking of some situation. Uh, you you leave this job and go across town and work for another company uh, that does the same thing. You know. Well, you're going to switch companies. Uh, you're destined to have opposition from this company you just left. It's like it's destiny because that's just the way it works. So it's not like anything unusual. It's our destiny to have opposition in the world now the thing is scary thing is for me sometimes is it's like you know i don't have that much opposition really the world doesn't know you broke stride with them i mean you're that close to the world that they just feel comfortable around you now again you don't want to be a jerk and and go out and make enemies but it's like there should be some kind of tension between you and the world because you're going this way and the world's going the opposite way and in our culture uh we sometimes we just kind of coast with the world and we just say well we we believe in christ we're going to heaven we'll just keep coasting on this sinking ship it's like you're supposed to be breaking stride with that okay point c trials are an opportunity to imitate christ imitate and this would be uh the example is acts chapter 5 verse 41 the Apostles, then they left the presence of the consul. They'd been called in front of the Sanhedrin because they were talking about Jesus, proclaiming his name, doing miracles. Sanhedrin, the Jewish consul. This is the beginning of the persecution that caused the book of James, the dispersion. Then they left this, the presence of the consul, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Because, the, they right there, they're professing Christ, doing the work of Christ, and the, synagogue, the, the Sanhedrin says, no, we're opposed to that. And they walked out, hey, we're imitating Christ. Yes, that means we're being opposed. So they, they recognize this as a good sign because they'd been with Jesus for three years. He was saying, hey, rejoice. When people come against you because of me, hey, you're on the right track. And they're out there, well, are we on the right track? Exactly, they're opposing us. They nailed Jesus on the cross and now they're opposing us. Again, for what reason are they opposing you? Because you know, you're know you just rude and obnoxious. Now, I've I went through church history with you at different times. Uh, there is a point in church history where they killed, again, they persecuted because of Christ, but sometimes the Christians just became socially, uh, uh, well, not awkward, socially uh, defiant. I mean, it's like they're, not, they're just defiant because it became a, a badge of honor to be in trouble with the government. They basically became like little terrorists. It's kind of like, well, now you're not suffering for the name of Christ any longer. You're suffering because you're, you're a criminal. Peter addresses that. Point D, trials are an opportunity for growth and development and character of Christ, and that is where we're at right now. Trials are going to help you grow in Christ and mature, and that's what James is focusing on. This he could, he could, and he does refer to the age to come. You're going to receive rewards. Uh, that's you know, your destiny, uh, talking about the world, you know, you're going to break rank with the world. He refers to something like that. Uh, Christ, he uses examples of you know, not just Christ, but of Job, uh, of uh, Rahab. Abraham, different people are used as examples. They're imitating. But this is the focus right here, early in this book, is the growth. Uh, I want to go through this now, point 12. I'm going to try to read these verses. Trials and persecutions mentioned by James. Now, he says, uh, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, when it says that, this is from last week, all joy is this is not the word here in the context, considered all joy, does not mean everything in this context. Consider everything joy. Everything that comes against you, consider joy. This is the word means complete. Complete joy. Full joy. Consider it, do the math, consider it. This is the fullness of joy when you face these trials. It does not say in everything, and it says trials of many kinds this is not saying every trial and 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 always have joy in everything he's saying have it pure joy complete joy keep your eye on the target and let the joy saturate you fullness of joy and the trials of many kinds and the many kinds right here i think are going to be described and this is going to be one of the challenges, not challenges, but one of my goals of this book, and, and beginning right now, is to help describe the many trials. Because there's going to be, right here, I've got a list, and this does not mean every trial, everything that you face falls into this category. Although, there's going to be things you can learn to apply, in application-wise, to every situation. But these are the trials that he's referring to here in the book. And I'm going to have to read some verses here. First of all, well, let me write them down here on the board, so I can read, then I'll just go through this list. Economic. Ec- economic uh, opposition. We'll just say economics so make it simple. Two, a favoritism of the wealthy. Uh, number three is economic oppression. And the key word being oppression. Therefore, it's persecution because of Christ. And that is where you're going to see uh, blas- the word blasphemy. They're, they're, they're blaspheming Jesus because they're renouncing Jesus. And you're accepting Jesus, so they're going to crush you because they don't honor the name of Jesus. We're going to see that verse it's in there. And uh, exploitation. Of the poor because you have no options oh, you've got to work for four dollars an hour well guess what we're dropping it to three dollars an hour well guess what we're only gonna pay you two dollars an hour but you got to work weekends also it's like and you have no op- you have I have no choice you have no choice <laughs> well then you're gonna work for free and we'll just give you some food at the end of the day it's like that's not fair What are you going to do about it? And that would be exploitation of the poor. So the first one, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, economics. Now, just see, again, we're going to go through the whole book, so I'm jumping through this book, grabbing verses to make this point. You don't have to agree with it, but you can see that the whole book is going to be focused on this, this theme right here. Chapter 1, verse 9, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position that's going to be a a huge theme and i'm going to you're going to see hannah and mary refer to this one that's in a humble position meaning poor oppressed you should rejoice in your high position because you're poor right now but this poverty is building in you a character and rebuilding up rewards for your high position in the kingdom yeah And then the next verse says, But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Ah, you're rich. You're controlling everything. Everything's in your power right here. You should reconsider the fact that you're just the opposite. You're heading to a place of opposition because you're using the world's wealth. Again, this is not saying, like I said before, all rich people are evil and all poor people are righteous. But in this context, the poor people that James is addressing are poor because of their righteousness. In this context. And the wealthy have maintained their wealth because they won't cross over and join the rebellion. They won't cross over and join Jesus Christ and the Messiah. So they say, ah, uh, they make the choice. Do I want it? Ah, uh, no. It's hard for the rich man to enter the king because I've got to give all this up. And the reason they're wealthy is they're, 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 they're wicked. They're, they won't come to Christ. In this case. Now again, you go through the Bible, you can find wealthy people who were righteous abraham david solomon okay that's chapter 1 verse 9 We're just talking about poverty chapter 1 verse 27 uh this is going i hope this is not too sloppy uh oh here here's a verse we'll look at later verse 26 if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue he deceives himself and his religion is worthless now that's going to come up coming up here shortly when it talks about how to respond to this opposition james is going to go out of his way to say these are some things you do not do do not become violent do not become obstinate do not in this case right here do not uh uh you let your mouth run and just start saying things it's like if you're really a christian and you're really maturing you're going to control what comes out of your mouth. You're not free to slander these people. You're not free to burn down their businesses. You're not free to just curse them out. Uh, you've got to control, You've got to respond in Christ-like character. But the verse I'm looking for is the next one. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So if you're going to be... A Christian in true religion, you're going to not oppress the poor. You're going to look out and take care of them. You're not going to look down here and exploit the poor. You're going to say, "Oh, you're poor. You need some assistance." You're going to help the orphan and the widow. Uh, Chapter two, verse fifteen through sixteen. Um, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Now, brother or sister would fit in that category of Adelphos, we said last week, when he says brothers, he addressed them as brothers, meaning the whole group of us believers. Now he addresses them as brothers or sisters. Suppose a brother or sister, again, I don't have the Greek here, so I'm not sure if the Greek is just brothers, you know what I'm saying. It could be Adelphoi right there again, and in the, in the NIVs put those words in there, so I don't have the Greek with me. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So again, there's that contrast of someone is in need. If you're really going to care about them, you're going to cross over and physically help them. So this would talking about economics right here. Uh, f- favoritism, chapter two, verses one through four. There's, there's a contrast. And the church... This is where his congregation or his assembly is slipping back into the worldly way of thinking. They've got their poor oppressed people coming to their assembly, but for some reason, some wealthy person has joined them. Maybe they've been convicted. Maybe they've come over to Christ and they've still got their wealth or they're going to maintain their wealth for some reason. And now he's going to condemn them for this right here, the favoritism, chapter, one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers... As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And the favoritism in context here is finances. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You become judges these are the wealthy, these are the poor, you've got evil thoughts, oh, if I show favoritism to the wealthy, they may show favoritism towards me, I'll oppress this person. So even though you're a member of the believing community that is under opposition persecution, persecution, soon as you have a chance, oh, there's a wealthy person, oh, this person has no authority, no ability to hurt me, I'll just have you sit on the floor, but you, you can show me favoritism. And so now you've done the very same thing the world does. In the church, you're doing the same thing. You, have, you, you become judges for with evil intention of getting yourself favor, chapter two, verse nine. Um, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. Forever keeps. So right there, he's just saying, if you do that, you're doing the same thing as breaking all the law. Economic oppression, chapter two, verses five through seven. I hope I don't repeat myself. Chapter two, verses five. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting? You? A huge verse right there verse 6. He's talking to the community of believers and they they are believers but they are not mature. As believers, they're still showing favoritism to the wealthy and opposing the poor. And he says, God has chosen the poor, those that are proposed also to join. He says, now, he says, but you have insulted the poor by showing favoritism and extra attention to the wealthy. And then he says this, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? So if you go to work, for example, if we create this situation— during the week, they go to work. There's a rich man who owns a field or a business. But because they're, they've been rejected in Jerusalem, they fled to a foreign country. Realize they're in, a, in the nations. They're in a foreign land. So not only are they under persecution, they've had to leave their home. Now they're in a foreign country. They left their wealth, their prosperity, their, their property behind, possibly their families. They're in a place that they could be op- uh, 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 oppressed. Oppressed. Well, they've got to go work in a factory or they've got to work at some business or some field somewhere, and the wealthy own it. And so they can take advantage of these poor people because they're in a, in a place of distress. But yet, they come to church or the synagogue, and they come in, and these wealthy people come in also and join them. And it's like, now that they've got wealth in the church, you're going to show these people favoritism because they've got wealth, but tomorrow, these same people are going to oppose you in the field, they come in, and maybe it's still a, we don't know for sure if this is a, a again you got to make a decision uh, if this is an actual just a church of believers or if this is a Jewish synagogue with a mixture of both. And again, sometimes it could go either way, but here they've got wealthy people joining them, and they're showing favoritism towards them. And James says these people you're showing favor to you're acting just like the world think about it tomorrow these are the same people that are going to cut your wages because they can oppress you because you're poor but you have insulted the poor is it not the rich who are exploiting you are they not the ones who are dragging you into court now why would they be dragging you into court because you are weak and this is like we said before this is the fourth generation of this culture Jesus ministered in 30 A.D. Jerusalem falls in 70 A.D. This is right around 45 A.D. The fourth generation during this time period is where the, the middle class gets oppressed. They get drug into poverty. And the Jews are in that condition in Judea. They are oppressed. Uh, Jesus talks about it, about the, the religious people that are stealing widows' homes from them. Jesus addresses, he even says it, He says, you're stealing the homes of widows, convincing the widows, it'd be better for you to give your inheritance to us religious leaders than to leave it for your children. It was an oppressive, and they were using religion to do it. So it's continuing right here. And so he says right here, are they not dragging you into court? Why would a wealthy person drag a poor person into court? because that poor person is not totally destitute yet they still have something to squeeze out of them property inheritance something that they can legally take from them and that is where we are at in our culture you're going to see it more and more in the next year the next four or five years until we get to the end of our fourth generation Um, they're going to continue to oppress the middle class are they not the ones dragging you into court are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you believe? So they are, they are literally mocking you because you trust in Jesus. They consider Jesus a false prophet, a criminal, crucified. They agree with the high priest. They agree with the crucifixion. And you as a believer are oppressed because of that. And now they come into your synagogue or your setting, and you show them favor, they're oppressing you in the workplace. You know this, you know this every day. They're dragging some of our people into court, taking their possession because we have nothing to hold against them. And then they look at you and mock you, blaspheming Jesus because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet you don't have the hupomone to look them in the eye and say, I'm not impressed. You're like, oh, 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 you're wealthy. And he's like, I mean, he's actually calling for some resistance against the wealthy. At least don't show them favoritism. He's not talking about, now listen, he's going to get into violence. He's going to get into the words they speak. We're not talking about uh, being violent. We're not talking about murder. We're not talking about being uh, verbally uh, uh, abusive to them. But you've got to figure this out. You've got to stick together with those who are poor. Well, they're just poor. They're oppressed. You're thinking just like the world. Just because they're poor, they have nothing in the world. They're, God's, they're poor because they've accepted Christ. They're being formed into the kingdom of God. These are the people of the next age. And you're looking at them going like, mm, can't be interested in you. Ah, I've got to show attention to the wealthy. He says, you're, you're just like the world. You don't even understand they're opposing you. They're taking your stuff and your people's stuff because of Christ. Even saying, they're blaspheming Jesus while they oppress you. And you're like, oh, we don't want to offend you. And that's where hupomone, you're going to see the word hoopamone in Dorrance. You're going to have to have some, some stamina to stand up against and say, I'm not impressed with your wealth. You're going to have to take my wealth, but we are not compromising. And I'm going to support those who believe in Christ, even though they have nothing to offer me. See, that's one thing. If people have something to offer, they do, oh, I've seen it, you've seen it. Uh, some new person, new family moves to town in some kind of a church somewhere, and within a year, they're on the board. I mean, I mean you, you've seen it. So if you've been in church more than five years, you've seen a new person, new family, move in, join the church, and all of a sudden, boop, 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 they're at the top, telling you how to run the church. It's like, where'd you, what? Well, <laughs> they got money. They, they're important. They've got, it's like, I've been cleaning toilets for 20 years in the church, (laughs) but what do you got to offer? This person has got some cash. This person has some influence in the world. But again, I be you know, I could give you examples. I'm not going to down. But the same thing is happening right here. Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him uh, of whom you believe? Okay. That is economic favoritism, economic oppression, chapter 2, that's, okay, oppression, yeah, that's, again, did you see, do you see that right here? The economic oppression is clearly identifying those three statements. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you, you brothers who I'm writing to, the rich are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? You're being dragged into court, and again, not being dragged into court because of some crime, being drugged into court because they're trying to get something you've got. Remember the prophets talking about how the shepherds fleece the sheep, they eat the the sheep all the way down to the very hooves. They peel off the hooves and use the hooves for something. That represents the people that the Jewish prophets were talking about, the people of Israel, but the false prophets and religious leaders just take it everything they can from the people. The only thing that's left is the hooves. It's like, you know what? We can melt that down and make glue. Ah, I'll take it. And it's like there's nothing left. They've completely devoured their people. And that is what is taking place here. Again, that's fourth generation material. Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name, noble name of whom you believe? That's economic oppression. And, okay, that next one is persecution of Jesus. That's blaspheming Jesus. That was that verse, verse seven. And then uh, the last one, economic exploitation, chapter five, verses one through six. Now listen, <laughs> now, now James is going to address Uh, the rich people. So there must be some rich people. This is not just a general letter to Jews. This is a a letter to the believers. So, chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, let me be sure I know how far I'm going to go with this. 5, 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. I would consider this... Again, you've got to think about it. This has to be some prophecy. They're rich right now, so they've got clothes, they've got wealth. But he's saying, if they're in 45 AD right here, again, how much does James understand about, you know, Jesus says this generation will not pass away until they see these things. So if 40 years is a generation, there are 25 years of time left here before, well, the Jewish wars break out in sixty six AD, so they're twenty one years away from the Jewish wars breaking out, so they're, you know, twenty years away from things really falling apart. Interestingly, when Paul writes one of the letters, he writes, The Jews have already begun to face their destruction. And so there's things were taking place declining in Judea, even during Paul's life. Remember, Paul died fall of sixty-seven, spring of sixty-eight. The Jewish wars break out in sixty-six. So Paul got to at least hear about the Jewish wars Uh, While Nero was emperor and Vespasian was over there leading the military down into Judea, Paul was still alive, maybe in prison, depending on what time it was. Uh, So Paul began to see these things take place. James uh, was pushed off the Temple Mount in 62 A.D. So he would have seen these things starting to develop. But this is 45 A.D. Now listen, you rich people. Weep, wail, because of the misery that is coming up on you. Again, in their fourth year, you may have wealth, you may have money, but you're going to be facing some serious, according to Jesus' words, according to Jesus' prophecies, uh, you're not going to hang on to this stuff much longer. It's, it's falling out of your hands right now. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, the last days, can, you can say three things about that interpretation. Last days would mean the eschaton times, the end of history, uh, the 70th week. Uh, and that began on the day of Pentecost. We have entered the days of Joel. These are those days. The next day, they don't know when it's actually going to happen, but we've entered into the last phase. Or it could be the last days ...of this, you know, the Jewish culture before. They're dispersed, and when they were dispersed in 70 A.D., they've been dispersed ever since, until 1948. So the last days of their standing. Or it could be referring to the last days as the Old Testament closes. That was the end end times. That was the end of that age. So when it talks about the end of the age, e- even in Jesus' teaching, it can be the end of what we consider the end times in the future... Or it could be the end of the age of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, the New Covenant, or the church age. So again, I'm not going to give, you know, you could work with that and kind of decide what he's referring to. But you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Um, So clearly, this is, again, not clearly, but we're assuming this is 45 A.D., and he's writing to people in 45 A.D. So these people in 45 A.D. have hoarded their wealth, and James calls this time period the last days. And it could be referring to the eschatology. It could be referring to the end of the Old Testament. It could be referring to the end of this generation of Jews in 70 AD. Look, right here, important point, verse 4. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And some of those people that mowed their fields are believers who are just looking for something. i got to feed my family. And they're working for minimum wage and less under opposition. And the wealthy are just going about their business getting wealthy, oppressing the believers. He says, the workmen who, who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now, that's a scary thing. When God hears about Sodom and Gomorrah, he goes down to see how bad it was. When he hears about the Tower of Babel, he goes, "Let us go down and see what they're doing." And now they've reached the ears of the Lord. This age right here, the wealthy in 45 A.D. in the dispersed synagogues, Uh, they've reached the the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, which would be Jesus Christ. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now there it is, fourth generation. You have condemned in court, taken everything you can from them, and then murdered them, executed them on some false drummed up charges, innocent men, simply because you wanted their stuff. You wanted their fields. Who have not were not opposing you. They are simply trying to take care of their families, take care of their possessions, manage their property, and you say, "Oh, we need more." I've al- you al- already have enough, but because of your luxury and self-indulgence, you crushed other people. The, uh, the fourth generation uh, has teeth to devour the poor and needy from the earth, and those poor and needy are not the homeless. Those poor and needy are the middle class who were taken to court, their possessions stolen from them, and then they were crushed by the elite who become stronger and stronger and stronger, which is the last phase of a society. When the elite becomes so small and everyone else is in a working class, it's going to tip over. Something's going to happen. And God, well, we'll head on. God will do something about it. He'll do something about it in time, and he'll do something about it in eternity. Um. Go to page f- eight again. Po- point fourteen. Um, uh, point thirteen. I just write this. I reiterate this. The above is possibly a contextual list of the trials. What I just read is the trials. Now, when it says trials of many kinds, you could say any kind of trial. You could name anything, but it appears that is the theme of the book of James. Point thirteen. The above is a possib- possib- possibly a contextual list of trials of. of any kind or trials of many kinds of chapter 1 verse 2 but is clarified in chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 but you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who are who oppress you and the ones who will drag you into court are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called i would sum up that entire section on that verse right there point 14 james will focus on how his readers should respond to these trials and these oppressors with uh of these oppressors with violence. Okay, is the word not in there? Oh boy, let me read that again. I think I forgot the word not. That could get me in trouble. Point 14, James will focus on how his readers should respond to these trials and these oppressors. Okay, with violence or anger in a personal attempt to establish worldly justice. Oh boy, change those notes quick. (laughs) That's not what that's, uh, somehow I forgot not. These oppressors, uh, n- but it's not with violence. It's, it, no violence, no anger, and no personal attempt. So here's the words right here, because this is also in the book. Uh, 14a, make, 20, make sure I change that because it's online and it, I'll forget about it then for all of eternity. I'll be dead in 20 years. It's like Galen was promoting social violence in 2022 or something, which we are not. Yeah, we are not. I, we are James nor I am promoting uh, violence against the oppressors even angry. Am I reading it wrong? Well, if you read on. You yeah, well, if I read on, but there's a word not is in there, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you for defending me there. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that would be, that would be uh, worthy of, uh, that would be an example of not Christian persecution, but just civil unrest. That should cause you some problem. Okay. Uh, first, uh, what they are not to do. Do not respond with Physical violence, and this is chapter four, verses one through two, and this is James writing to the same people in the context of everything he said. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I mean, these are the poor now, the poor righteous, and they're being oppressed. Now he's he's saying you've got to hoop them on. He's not saying they're mature. He's not telling you guys have arrived. You're mature. Way to go! I'm so proud of you. he's okay. Now listen, you're in a tough situation, and he starts off. right doesn't even give him besides just greetings. He doesn't say, you know, I'm proud of you. You've done a great job of the whole world. Like Paul writes to Thessalonians, the whole world has heard about your faith. He doesn't say anything. It's like, okay, okay, you guys are in trouble. You ran, you're under persecution, and you're going to start responding like worldly people. And he starts right off with the admonition. So right here, they, I would consider them immature or not fully mature and in a very hard position and ready to respond in a, as Christians fighting fire with fire or fighting the world with worldly methods and that's immature i have been immature i will again behave at some point in my life as an immature believer okay but the goal is to continue to grow and respond in a different way so here he is first what they are not to do do not respond with physical violence what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you You desire and do not have, meaning you aren't controlling. You're you're in a place of opposition. You're in a place of poverty, and your desires, you want this that you used to have, but you can't have it. It's not available. You've lost it because of Christ. That's your call. That was a good choice, and I'm telling you, you're on the right path, but don't look back as a double-minded man. Is, Is it not that you have passions that are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, And cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now again, you do not have these possessions, so all you got to do is go to God and ask for these possessions, possibly, or you need to go to God and ask again for wisdom on how to live a life. And we're talking about morals in this case. Again, it it could go either way. The book seems to be focused on how do we get our wealth back. No, it seems to be focused on how do we stand hupomone enduring without these things looking for some future reward do not resort to verbal abuse point three do not become angry know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteous righteousness of god in other words when you find out about this or when you find yourself being oppressed Do not be quick to shoot your mouth off. Do not be quick to become angry. We're going to get back at them. We're going to do something that's all joined together and fight back. He says, that's not how the righteousness of God is established in his community. You're a place of opposition. You're going to endure. You're going to trust God. Now, this is not talking about the American Revolution. You know, they shouldn't have fought. There's going to be a place as a nation, as a culture. There's going to have to be certain battles. Jesus talks about that. But this is talking about this community that's been isolated because of Christ. You're not going to advance the gospel by going back to war, murdering your opponents, your uh, your opposition. For the anger man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. In other words, where I'm giving you information, receive this and this will save your soul. We're more interested in saving your soul than you getting back your property. We're more interested in you maturing in Christ and getting ready for the age to come than winning the battle here of this age. Now that's not saying Christians do not ever you know, go to court. Again, some of you know, Christians should never go to court. Well, we, we, we live in a culture where if that's the case, you, you're, you're certain things you need, you need to protect yourself. Again, that's and that's not the concept context of this book um i want to go to oh boy go to first peter very quickly first peter which you just got to turn the page and just see how familiar this sounds uh chapter one of first peter verses three through i think it's nine or something just listen to peter say the same thing Praise be to the God, I'm in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given you new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so you're in Christ, thank God. In, in this, you greatly rejoice. See, in this salvation, joy. You greatly rejoice because you've got that salvation. Though, now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So you, you rejoice. You're in Christ. You're going to the great place. Everything's going to work out. You're protected. You're kept in Christ. Now, meanwhile, in our lives... You may have had to face trials. All kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith that you claim to have of greater worth than gold. Your faith is of greater worth than gold. Your faith is greater than the fields they've stolen from you. Your faith is greater than your wages. Your faith is greater than anything because everything else which perishes even though refined by fire. They try to save it. They try to purify it. But in the end, it's not going to be there. But your faith It's going to be there forever. Uh, These trials have come so that your faith may be proved, dokimazo, proved genuine. That word dokimazo, we're going to try to get to it here today and tick-tock, tick-tock. It's used by James. It means tested and approved it is what dokimazo what it's silver goes through you've got silver it is then heated up and purified so after the testing you have the pure silver nothing else is left you've got the pure silver so your faith you've got faith but there's some things you don't understand there's some things in your behavior we're going to run you through these trials so the only thing that's going to be able to pass through here is true faith he's not saying you that we're testing you to see do you really have faith or not we're saying your faith is imperfect. We're going to run you through these trials so that on the other side, the only thing you've got left is pure faith. It's, it's dokimazo, may be proved genuine, meaning we know it's there, but we need to purify it. And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ in, is revealed. Now, that praise, glory, and honor could be to Jesus Christ, but in the context, praise, glory, and honor is going to be towards the person who's gone through the testing you, you're on the other side praise glory honor you're with christ and you receive that praise um page nine i'm gonna on, on the notes page nine of uh, the verse the word who moni, moni is going to pop up i'm going to go back and read the verse chapter uh boy i got a lot of pages here you stay on page nine i'm going to back to chapter one verse one verse two holy ghost where's Count it all joy when we meet various trines. Okay, point three. Oh, it's at the bottom of nine. There it is. Yeah, okay, it's right there. Point, chapter one, verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the English Standard Version there on the notes. See in the box at the end of the Greek, there's your word, hoopomone. hupomone. At the top of that page, point B, also do not passively endure it. The word is hopomone or endurance. It is not a passive character that gives up. So it says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's not you just give up and lay down. It's not passive. Point two, this is a constant holding on to the truth in any situation. It is not compromising. It is refusing to give up no matter who. Who tries to walk on you, and no matter how negative you may feel, it's not letting people walk on you, and it's not just giving into your negative emotions. It's the fact that people may be walking on you, but you don't stop believing what you know is true. Even though it's negative, you continue, I know this is true. I'm not going to move. Uh, You do not stop. In this case, you do not stop believing the truth. You do not stop trusting God. This refusal to give up may look very obstinate to the world. The believer may appear to be stubborn and even arrogant. So I mean, when it says steadfastness it is definitely not passive. In fact, it could be perceived as being arrogant or stubborn. I'm not moving. Doesn't mean you're going to talk arrogant or be obstinate. It means why aren't you changing? Because I know this is true and it's going to work. Now, I really want to get into uh, point three there. Hupomone must, must, most likely will force a reaction from the opposition to either reconsider their position or to double down on their opposition. So your steadfastness, your hupomone may cause someone to like, well, what, are, and join you or at least consider your position. Or it may be like, no, you're not going to break me. And they try to break you even more. So it could go either way. Uh, You can see Stephen and Paul. Stephen stood firm and was stoned to death. Paul was obstinate, but eventually Paul came around and joined Stephen. Now, this is really where I wanted to get today. Point 15, the oppression of the righteous poor and their trust in the Lord's justice is the theme here in this book, as seen by Mary and Jesus and the words of Hannah in 1 Samuel. Point A, Mary is going to, when she speaks, sings in luke chapter one she's calling on the words of hannah and she's going to sound like this in the beatitudes i'm going to go to first samuel chapter two and end with first samuel chapter two some words like this and just listen to hannah this is the righteous poor and how how they're going to respond i'm reading the niv i can't read the whole thing but i and i, I, I i'm going to want to stop and explain this and I, I will pick this up next week but you're going to have the poor who are victorious and you're going to have the rich who are going to be destroyed but that's going to be because of god because of yahweh the lord is going to do it your job in, in hannah's case in mary's case in jesus in his his case in his crowd is right here then hannah prayed and said my heart rejoices in yahweh In Yahweh, my horn, or strength, is lifted high. She's weak, she's oppressed, but in Yahweh, she's strong. My mouth boasts over my enemies, although she's not doing anything, She is saying, I'm going to win, for I delight in your deliverance, in Yahweh's deliverance, and the deliverance is going to come in God's time. There is no one holy like Yahweh, there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, talking to the wealthy, the powerful, the oppressor. For Yahweh is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, and those who stumble are armed with strength. So the mighty warrior is gonna their weapons are broken. But the one who's stumbling, the one who's weak, the one who's oppressed has had their stuff taken from them he is armed with strength it's yahweh's strength not their own those who are full hire themselves out for food but those who were hungry hunger no more so those who are full the wealthy whose whose uh, clothing are being eaten by moths they're now hiring themselves out for food. All of a sudden, thing the tables have turned. You're totally full. You've lived in your indulgence. But now all of a sudden, you're hiring yourself out not for a better job or a better wage. I just need some money for food. I just need a meal today. I'll work for food. That's the wealthy. But those who were hungry, hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, and she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. Now, what he's talking about right there, the Lord brings death to the wealthy and the oppressor, but makes alive those who are downtrodden. He brings down to the grave and raises up. He brings down the wealthy to the grave and raises the oppressed up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. The Lord sends poverty to the the rich, and he sends wealth to the poor. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, meaning he established reality. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, again, and that right there towards the end kind of stretches off into some major biblical prophecy but you can see the context mary is going to when she hears the announcement of her giving uh having having the messiah she's going to sound like hannah in those same things it's the righteous poor rejoicing that the lord has remembered them and that was the very coming of christ as he's remembering the righteous poor and taking us into the kingdom i'll pray and we're done father do thank you for the chance to look into these things we ask that we again would grow in our character that we would respond to opposition with righteousness with godly character that we would not go back to the ways of the world but father we would rise above that and prepare ourselves for maturity in this life and eternity in jesus name we pray amen thank you for your time